0: Happy Wednesday, and welcome back to another exciting minute of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of tvdads.com.
1: And I'm your other host, I'm Chris Henry from the EAA Aviation Museum.
0: And we're finally getting some air blowing through that uh, carbon scrubber, and uh, mission accomplished, at least on this little part. And as you said uh, yesterday, Chris, this is like critical, at least from Gene Kranz's point of view, this was a critical moment in getting, uh, uh, getting them back safely home.
1: Yeah, you know, and I wonder, I mean, well, I mean, I guess look at it this way. If they can't do this, there's no crew. Yeah. I mean, period. Like, anything else you could figure out a workaround, you could do a burn longer than you need to. But if you can't keep the crew alive with this filter, then that's it. I mean, uh, it, it. they had to come through for it.
0: Yeah, game over, man, as Bill Paxton was saying in another movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we get uh we get a bunch of different you know this is the end of the uh the macgyver part of the show although there's a lot of a lot of macgyvering going on still with uh, Ken Mattingly going going through and trying to figure out how to get power uh to power up those batteries that are in the uh, that are in the command module um i uh i wish uh you yeah, know, it, 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 this is one of those movies that you, you wish it were either 30 minutes long or another two hours because I'd love to <laughs> yeah. get into some more stuff here. On, uh, on, I feels like
1: there could be an Apollo 13 miniseries.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Like from the Earth to the Moon, only like just about Apollo 13. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe five episodes covering five days or so. And, oh, well, we, we can pitch it to Ron Howard if he ever calls in. Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, I still, as we begin this minute, I still can't figure out how Swigert is fitting in the uh, lunar module, stand standing sideways. Um, I mean, uh, Hayes is pointed up the up the tunnel, and uh, Jim Lovell is over by the uh, instrument panel. But how uh, how Swigert fits in there? Beyond me.
1: <laughs> um. That's interesting.
0: I do like the uh, the tension relief and that is something directly out of the Apollo uh, 13 book uh, where Lovell looks at the two other guys acting pretty frantic and is like well just breathe and that'll be that <laughs> you know, just breathe normal fellas and uh sure enough they are like okay we'll keep doing that and then uh all that all that tension just from looking at uh, a needle on a on a gauge which uh <laughs> anybody who's ever had their fuel tank reaching toward e in your yes <laughs> long, yes a long way from the Sunoco station um
1: I wonder how quickly it did start working
0: yeah I was wondering that too if uh I mean the the oxygen or the decarbonized air is blowing in from the command module so they'd have to move the entire volume of air from the LEM and the command module to get over I, I wonder where the uh, it's not a pitot. I don't know what the sensor is that measures the carbon. I wonder where that sensor is inside the uh, inside the lunar module. Um, I'm assuming that it's somewhere. It's probably inside the uh, uh, the intake of the um, uh, of the scrubber.
1: Yeah, that's true. I guess I didn't think of it that way.
0: Um, although that might be a bad place to take it because now the most the thing coming through is the scrubbed air. That might mess that up. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Maybe it's in some neutral location. Um, if we get anybody on that did Lem systems, we can yeah. write, write that down. Make that another one. To... We'll
1: have to ask Fred Hayes when we get him back. Yeah, in
0: yeah. Day. Where where was the sensor for that? Um, and uh, so they're all gathered around, looking at looking at what's going on. You know, reading the reading the dials and gauges on Earth, and uh, they all look uh, comfortable. That uh, Lovell said that the uh that it goes down and it's dropped to nine and still falling so um in the, in the amount of time that he talked about it it's you know it, obviously it's visible to him that, that it's made a change um and uh it, uh the, you know having having the uh <laughs> our friend Brett there uh telling uh the technician who's played by uh, Victor Von Huhn that you were a steely-eyed mission man which actually, at the time, that was John Aaron that did the job, at least according to uh, the book Lost Moon. And uh, I, I just happened to have lost Moon uh, out and about. <laughs> so uh, let me uh, let me just check this out. I, I, I copied it down so that I wouldn't forget where it was. Um, but in uh, on page 157 of uh, Lost Moon, the Perilous Voyage of Apollo 13, uh, he mentions that uh, in this in the, uh, astronaut community, uh a steely-eyed missileman. there weren't many steely-eyed missile men in the nasa family von braun was one craft was certainly one kranz was probably one too john aaron a 27 year old wonder kid from oklahoma uh, became one as well um he, uh he was informally accorded the steely-eyed missile man designation so uh and that, that's pretty cool but that uh that steely-eyed missile man, uh designation was given to him when he saved Apollo 12. That's when he became a steely-eyed missile man. So uh, that's, where, that's where that got handed out. Huh,
1: that's pretty neat, I always wondered about that.
0: Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's very it's very intriguing re- reading some of it. And I can strongly recommend, it. if you haven't read Lost Moon, it's a great uh, companion to the movie. There's a lot of things you can't fit in a movie and uh, I think that uh, you get a little bit more of how Lovell's personal feelings are about being on the being on the trip and making all these hard decisions, and uh, what what it's like working. And you read his book. You can I mean there's so many people that have written about this. You read Kranz's book. Um, you can read uh, Christopher Kraft's book about setting up Mission Control and talking about how how it all worked. Um, it's it's really fascinating to get the, a bigger picture of it. And I hope that we're doing that with this show but it's uh it's just amazing where where all these little things come from and how what they considered important to each other and mostly what they worked for is the esteem of their fellows that uh, that other people thought them one of the best things you could tell somebody is that you're a capable person by another person that you considered capable um, uh, I I, yeah, that's that's easily easily understood. If you if you get that kind of you know, this guy knows what he's talking about, and if he's talking about me, and I know that he thinks he's talking about me, that, that, yeah, I I agree with what he says. Then that that's a good thing.
1: <laughs> well, and I think it goes back to what Gene you know mentioned that he had such an unwavering trust in each person that he didn't have to micromanage. He just knew that every person in every seat of Mission Control was there because they were the best at what they did.
0: Yeah, and I think I think micromanagement obviously would have destroyed it if you, if and a lot of people a, a lot of people find this situation today where it's so easy to, to have a conference or have a have a meeting and you wind up spending your time meeting about meetings and uh, it, it, organization is important, but it it feels like when you watch this thing. All crans want to do is get the job done. Come back to me when you've got a solution, and get you know, give me a time frame as to when we can expect this stuff. Uh, you know, we, <laughs> we've all been in we've all been in situations and and job positions where you just wish you could get your work done, but you have to stop and explain it to other people. <laughs> um, and it, the more technical work that you do, I think the more that comes up as a as a major frustration. <laughs> you just let oh, me get yeah. the job done. I'll come back. <laughs> Um I uh I once worked at a company whose I will not discuss where it was but they actually had uh, two meetings to uh, get material together for the next meeting that they were going to have and um I was I this was a, it's oh. a contra- contract job so I didn't have to worry about being uh, about working for that company but I was like if this is how they get things done they don't get a lot of things done
1: <laughs> Yeah having meetings about meetings oh that's that's uh. Uh, those are rough.
0: <laughs> yeah, th- I think that's what pushed me into the in, into the contracting life because like, contractors don't have to uh, make the managers happy. You just have to, you have a client, you have a customer, and they tell you what they what the job is that they need to get done. Then you go away and you come back, and here's here's the solution. So uh, I I think that's why uh, contracting has uh, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> been my favorite in the past couple of decades. Uh, wow. Well, this is this is kind of the resolution of everything. So there's not much. There's not much going on here other than uh, great job, team. This is like they should all line up and go, good game, good game, good game at the bottom, <laughs> at the bottom of the vision control. Um, it, it, it,
1: it, it oddly enough, it ends right in that minute where it's just a nice like ending of that chapter.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's a shame it's not a Friday. Uh, because, <laughs> yeah, just it just feels like it just snips off and uh, and it's good. I mean, it's it's uh it's nice being able to, and like you said this might be better or it, i don't know if it'd be better but it, it it would fit into a mini-series very well this seems like a great chapter and they say oh this is how this is how that worked um and uh it, it or it feels like this is where if this were a uh you know, a kid's cartoon show in the eighties, this would be where they'd they'd put in the pro social tip. Kids, if you can try this at home, try to work with your friends and see if you can build it. Uh, yeah, the G.I.
1: Joe, uh, stay yeah. away from those down power lines.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. The more you know. Yeah. Um so it's uh yeah, it it it, it just feels feels very much a PSA for uh, for NASA. Um and uh yeah, and we, we're just so that's that's a big thing. Like you said, Gene Kranz found this is one of the biggest obstacles. So now the only thing we have to do is figure out how to get enough power into the command module to uh run the run the pyro packages and keep the uh, uh the internal uh the the inertial measuring unit uh online so that they can uh, steer steer the ship into uh into reentry. And uh that's that's the next tricky bit that we're gonna, that we're going to be talking about in the next uh 10 or so episodes. Um but I uh was I was thinking about all the stuff that's, uh, th- they're two thirds of the way home. They've got roughly another day and a half to, uh, to get home from here. And I, I just, I always wondered what, you know, when they look at things, they had enough oxygen in things and things. They had, they were kind of low on water. Uh, Fred was sick and, uh, they were cold. I was just wondering if this helped them in the, uh, like like, where was their where was their turnaround point emotionally? Of where they thought, well, hey, we're gonna we're gonna make it home, okay? I wonder, I wonder how that how that went.
1: <laughs> Probably at splashed down. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
0: <I> mean... <laughs> yeah. When the when the frogman knocks on the window, that's <laughs> that's about it. Um, but it must be. I mean, you have to you have to keep a, a big picture. But well, like they had in the uh, semi fake argument, um, there's so many steps in this thing. I have I have a feeling that they limited their um, their window on the horizon like it's like we don't have to look at all the way down there but we've got to solve this immediate problem so once that kicked in and they've got the the number dropping from 15 down to nine and continuing to drop that must have been at least a a little bit of a, a salve to their you know everything's been going wrong and now they finally got something going right and going uh going the way it needed well the second thing they they got right i mean getting the getting the burn on the far side of the moon was probably a another good one um but yeah, I just I if I were in the situation I'd be like clinging up to any good news. It's like, oh, "Oh good, that's gosh. all done." Hooray. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, um yeah, just a very uh um it, 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 of all the of all the things, you know, you watch a movie and you try to put yourself in a situation and of all the situations I could think of being in, uh, being on the crew of Apollo 13 is the most impossible situation I can imagine as a as a viewer <laughs> being able to be part of that. It's um <laughs> Yeah, it's very uh, that and uh, maybe watching uh, Sully Sullenberger try to land on the Hudson. That would be another. <laughs> yeah, that would Uh-oh. be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, do you have any? Uh, do you have any Apollo thirteen era uh, equipment at at the museum that that represents this time period? I don't know if you have any.
1: Um, let's see. Apollo thirteen era. Um, I, you know, most most of the stuff that we have is Apollo eight. Uh, because it all came from Frank.
0: I know, and it's beautiful too, by the way. Oh, yeah, I'm very (laughs) proud of it.
1: (laughs) Um, But, uh, so yeah, most of our stuff uh, is Apollo 8 era, like most of our hardware and equipment we have in the museum.
0: Um,
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think.
0: Yeah, I, I was but, just wondering, anything between, like, Apollo 8 and, like, Skylab or... So, Crete. there's... You have, a, you have a tire from the space shuttle, right?
1: We do. We have a shuttle, a tire. We have a, a bumper sticker that flew on the shuttle that says, <laughs> I love EAA. Oh, wow. Um, and there is someone who is possibly donating down the road uh, a significant portion of stuff that would fill the gap between Apollo 8 and a shuttle.
0: Cool, yeah. cool. I, I can't get into yeah, it really, I, I. but... but but yeah, there's there's more to come. <laughs> Thanks, Buzz. No. It's... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that yeah, no that. Uh, but yeah, it, it's. I mean, this is this is just a, a constant thing, and and I've I've always wa- I've wondered about this. There has there must be competition from other museums, and it must be just really awkward oh, when you're.
1: Yeah, it's. So it's tough, you know, because um, you know, so every you, you know you want to get the stuff where it's gonna make the most uh meaning yeah um you know and some but it also has to be in a facility that could properly take care of it so yeah um that you know i mean jennifer lavaster can tell you that that there's a lot of challenges there um but uh luckily we have places like you know a lot of the different air and space museums and the cosmosphere in uh, kansas and uh, um which, if you haven't been, is a great place. They have the actual Odyssey uh, yeah. command module
0: there. And... They, they've got they've got amazing. They have the most amazing basement in the world. Yes, and, they uh, do. <laughs> I mean, just just down, the, the the bottom level of the place has Apollo thirteen, uh, Gemini ten, and Liberty Bell seven from the yeah. bottom of the ocean. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and and the only uh, Voshod uh, spacecraft, the two man spacecraft uh, that was ever out of the Soviet Union. And yeah, uh,
1: it's a it's a really neat facility. I mean. That was one that I expected to go in there and spend you – know, I had never been, so I was like, well, you know, maybe like you know, half hour I can go see Knock This Out. And I was there for like half the day. Yeah. You I, know, and I, I could have stayed another part of the day, but I had to go. <laughs> but,
0: yeah. Uh, there, there's some there's some museums that you go in and there's like a sentence on what you're looking at. But I'm always yeah. – I'm impressed at uh, – it's – if you're into geek space stuff – the Cosmosphere is fantastic because everything is like five paragraphs of the most arcane knowledge on any given piece of equipment. And there are things like there's things that you've never seen anywhere else. There's um, one of the most amazing displays that I found in there that it's very simple, but it really hits you hard is uh, uh, Werner von Braun's uh, and uh, Sergei Korolev's. Uh, respective si- slide rules—the ones that they made all their calculations on—they were that they were on their desk, and uh, they're side by side, which really sums up the whole space race in in two slide rules. Um, uh, things like they have a they have a V two, they have a. Um, uh, they
1: have a really cool like basement setting, you know, where they're. Building
0: yeah, it. yeah, yeah. You go down and there's this gigantic illuminated swastika, and it, you know it it puts everything in context beautifully that you're like. You're looking at a weapon of war that eventually turned into uh, the peaceful use of, of space in the space age, um, but it's it's just astonishing. The the uh, other than I, I mean outside of the Smithsonian uh, and maybe the Imperial War Museum, uh, the the layout of this place is such a storytelling uh, route that it it takes you through the history of a bunch of things and this was all done by um the woman that started the chaos of the cosmosphere was uh, a librarian if i remember correctly she was a librarian who would write to nasa and say well if you're not using that could i have it because we can display it in our uh, on our library and we're we're building a little space museum and she'd get people to donate really odd oddball things she had she has the xlr 99 um engine from the back of a from the back of an X-15. Yeah,
1: yeah, it, it's a it's a fantastic uh, uh, trip. I, I highly recommend. It. We have to see if we could get somebody on from there. That'd be pretty cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. They they even have one of the things uh, I was astonished that they had was they had uh, Mercury Atlas One, which uh, I always read about, and I wondered what <laughs> I wondered what happened to it because uh, the uh, what happened with Mercury Atlas One is after after they tested the Mercury on uh, on Redstones, they were going to put a man on top and they were going to launch him into space. So they had to try out the first one, which was an unmanned one. But they used the uh, the adapter that they used on the back of the Mercury was built for a, a, a pokey old Redstone rocket, and it wasn't built for a an ICBM like like the <laughs> Atlas. And so when they when they launched it, the uh, basically the the Atlas blew right through the middle of the <laughs> of the Mercury, oh my God. <laughs> blew it to splinters. And uh, I, I'm I'm very impressed by the. Uh, the display because they hung all the pieces from from the ceiling and <laughs> it's 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 just a bunch of a bunch of pieces of titanium roughly in the shape of a capsule. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and uh, it's
1: in a neat exhibit about how our early rockets, you know, how we had problems with our early rockets. It's it's very poignant to look at that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it uh, they have a and, and of course the cosmosphere is m- best known for their ability to recreate um, ships we no longer have or you know they they created a lot of the a lot of the the full size things that you're seeing in in Apollo 13 uh, were built uh, at the Kansas Cosmosphere because they really know how to manufacture the missing parts and and they are they are a major reason. You have stuff from the Cosmosphere right that that have been worked on.
1: Uh, we have a couple of items, yeah, 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 and um, they just recently restored the mission control panels.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, and, and they are sparkling. I mean, it's it's is th- their their attention to detail is magnificent and they know you know they they have the ultimate catalogs of every every little piece of everything so they can if they if they can't mill it they'll find something that looks just like it and they'll you know they'll they'll replace it on, on there but it's it's spot on um and it, it's almost like going to a to a hollywood prop shop that they that they can re- restore these things to such uh you know near pristine condition they even have the uh the glamorous, of course, the original glamorous Glennis is hanging in uh, Jennifer's uh, museum, but they have a, a a prop from the right stuff. So you don't have to travel all the way to D.C. You can just go to Hutchinson, Kansas, and see this uh, this beautiful prop of uh, the X, the Bell X One that uh, broke the sound barrier.
1: Yeah, it's the um, it's the one from the movie, The Right Stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's also close too. The uh, uh, you're not you're not far away from all all this equipment, so you get to you can get to peer at things they even have they have a a, a built-up uh a titan 2 missile that is it looks it's it's the way it's mounted it looks like it's in its own silo and uh it's just brilliant to see the thing and they even pipe in uh, the sound of uh of liquid oxygen escaping And like, the feeling it's going to take off any moment it's pretty um, cool yeah wow well uh yeah hopefully, hopefully we can get somebody from the cosmos i I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people from Cosmosphere that listen to our show so we can uh, we can reach out and get them and uh and Chris, I know you have a magic Rolodex, so you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> there are some really nice people there, so I don't think yeah. it'll be too hard
0: wow well uh well this is uh, we've been a little bit off track, but I can't recommend more once you know once we can all as we're recording this, we're still under quarantine, but uh, once the all clear is going a good thing to do. If you want to get out and get some air, is to get out and go to a, go to a museum near you. There's a, bunch, there's a bunch of great museums out there, and you don't have to go to the Smithsonian. It's a nice place to go, but there's probably local uh, aviation uh, shops and things ar- around you that uh, they would appreciate your, uh, your patronage, so uh, stopping by. Oh, uh, when, when you're not uh, clamped down, what are the hours at, at your museum there, Chris? Uh,
1: the EA Aviation Museum, we're open every day from 10 to 5.
0: 10 to 5 so uh, as soon as as soon as they uh clear clear everybody out go <laughs> take a trip to Oshkosh and it is well worth it it's it's an amazing collection I uh I can remember walking through the door there and just being flabbergasted at how much how much stuff you've got in in those rooms is it's astonishing it's it's re- and it's really cool stuff it's all it, it a lot of neat people donated a lot of neat things let me put it that way just to give, give you an idea of what you'd be looking at i appreciate it yeah wow well uh we will be back tomorrow and uh, now that now that this problem's out of the way we'll get to a, <laughs> a new <laughs> new set of problems uh tomorrow because this is a great movie um but uh, it looks like we're coming up on uh, loss of signal in about 30 seconds so we will see you here next time on the apollo 13 minute